0: Section 2 of A Story of the Stone Age This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Story of the Stone Age by H. G. Wells Section 2 The Cave Bear In the days when Eudena and Uglomi fled from the people of Uya towards the fir-clad mountains of the Weld, across the forest of sweet chestnut and the grass-clad chalkland, and hid themselves at last in the gorge of the river between the chalk cliffs. Men were few, and their squatting-places far between. The nearest men to them were those of the tribe, a full day's journey down the river, and up the mountains there were none. Man was indeed a newcomer to this part of the world, in that ancient time, coming slowly along the rivers, generation after generation, from one squatting-place to another, from the southwestward, And the animals that held the land, the hippopotamus and rhinoceros of the river valleys, the horses of the grass plains, the deer and swine of the woods, the grey apes in the branches, the cattle of the uplands, feared him but little, let alone the mammoths in the mountains, and the elephants that came through the land in the summertime out of the south. For why should they fear him, but with the rough chipped flints that he had not learned to haft, but which he threw but ill, and the poor spear of sharpened wood, as all the weapons he had against hoof and horn, tooth and claw. Andu, the huge cave bear, who lived in the cave up the gorge, had never even seen a man in all his wise and respectable life, until midway through one night, as he was prowling down the gorge along the cliff edge, he saw the glare of Eudena's fire upon the ledge, and Eudena red and shining, and Uglomi, with a giant shadow mocking him upon the white cliff, going to and fro, shaking his mane of hair, and waving the axe of stone, the first axe of stone, while he chanted of the killing of Uya. The cave bear was far up the gorge, and he saw the thing slanting ways and far off. He was so surprised, he stood quite still upon the edge, sniffing the novel odor of burning bracken, and wondering whether the dawn was coming up in the wrong place. He was the lord of the rocks and caves, was the cave bear, as his slighter brother, the grizzly, was lord of the thick woods below, and as the dappled lion, the lion of those days was dappled, was lord of the thorn thickets, Reed beds and open plains. He was the greatest of all meat eaters. He knew no fear. None preyed upon him, and none gave him battle. Only the rhinoceros was beyond his strength. Even the mammoth shunned his country. This invasion perplexed him. He noticed that these new beasts were shaped like monkeys, and sparsely hairy like young pigs. Monkey and young pig, said the cave bear, it might not be so bad. But that red thing that jumps, and the black thing jumping with it yonder, never in my life have I seen such things before. He came slowly along the brow of the cliff towards them, stopping thrice to sniff and peer, and the reek of the fire grew stronger. A couple of hyenas also were so intent upon the thing below, that Andu, coming soft and easy, was close upon them before they knew of him or he of them. They started guiltily and went lurching off. Coming around in a wheel a hundred yards off, they began yelling and calling him names to revenge themselves for the start they had had. Yaha, they cried. Who can't grub his own burrow? Who eats roots like a pig? Yaha. For even in those days, the hyena's manners were just as offensive as they are now. Who answers the hyena, growled Andu, peering through the midnight dimness at them, and then going to look at the cliff edge. There was Uglomi, still telling his story and the fire getting low, and the scent of the burning hot and strong. Andu stood on the edge of the chalk cliff for some time, shifting his vast weight from foot to foot, and swaying his head to and fro with his mouth open, his ears erect and twitching, and the nostrils of his big black muzzle sniffing. He was very curious, was the cave bear, more curious than any of the bears that live now, and the flickering fire and the incomprehensible movements of the man let alone the intrusion into his indisputable province, stirred him with a sense of strange new happenings. He had been after Red deer fawn that night, for the cave bear was a miscellaneous hunter. But this quite turned him from that enterprise. Yaha! yelled the hyenas behind. Yaha! Peering through the starlight, Andu saw that there were now three or four going to and fro against the grey hillside. They will hang about me now all the night, until I kill, said Andu filth of the world. And mainly to annoy them, he resolved to watch the red flicker in the gorge until the dawn came to drive the hyena scum home. After a time they vanished, and he heard their voices, like a party of cockney bean feasters away in the beechwoods. Then they came slinking near again. Andu yawned and went along the cliff, and they followed. Then he stopped and went back. It was a splendid night, beset with shining constellations the same stars, but not the same constellations we know. For since those days, all the stars have had time to move into new places. Far away, across the open space beyond where the heavy-shouldered, lean-bodied hyenas blundered and howled, was a beechwood, and the mountain slopes rose beyond, a dim mystery, until their snow-capped summits came out white and cold and clear, touched by the first rays of the yet unseen moon. It was a vast silence, save when the yell of the hyenas flung a vanishing discordance across its peace, or when from down the hills the trumpeting of the new elephants came faintly on the faint breeze. And below now, the red flicker had dwindled and was steady, and shone a deeper red. And Uglomi had finished his story and was preparing to sleep. And Eudena sat and listened to the strange voices of unknown beasts, and watched the dark eastern sky growing deeply luminous at the advent of the moon. Down below... The river talked to itself, and things unseen went to and fro. After a time the bear went away, but in an hour he was back again. Then, as if struck by a thought, he turned and went up the gorge. The night passed, and Uglomi slept on. The waning moon rose and lit the gaunt white cliffs overhead with a light that was pale and vague. The gorge remained in a deeper shadow and seemed all the darker. Then, by imperceptible degrees, the day came stealing in the wake of the moonlight. Eudena's eyes wandered to the cliff brow overhead once and then again. Each time the line was sharp and clear against the sky, and yet she had a dim perception of something lurking there. The red of the fire grew deeper and deeper, grey scales spread upon it, its vertical column of smoke became more and more visible, and up and down the gorge things that had been unseen grew clear in the colourless illumination she may have dozed. Suddenly she started up from her squatting position, erect and alert, scrutinizing the cliff up and down. She made the faintest sound, and Uglomi too, light sleeping like an animal, was instantly awake. He caught up his axe and came noiselessly to her side. The light was still dim, the world now all black and dark gray, and one sickly star still lingered overhead. The ledge they were on was a little grassy space, six feet wide perhaps, and twenty feet long, sloping outwardly with a handful of St. John's wort growing near the edge. Below it, the soft white rock fell away in a steep slope of nearly fifty feet to the thick bush of hazel that fringed the river. Down the river, the slope increased, until some way off a thin grass held its own right up to the crest of the cliff. Overhead, Forty or fifty feet of rock bulged into the great masses characteristic of chalk. But at the end of the ledge a gully, a precipitous groove of discolored rock, slashed the face of the cliff, and gave a footing to a scrubby growth, by which Eudena and Lomi went up and down. They stood as noiseless as startled deer, with every sense expectant. For a minute they heard nothing, and then came a faint rattling of dust down the gully, and the creaking of twigs. Uglomi gripped his axe and went to the edge of the ledge, for the bulge of the chalk overhead had hidden the upper part of the gully, and forthwith, with a sudden contraction of the heart, he saw the cave bear halfway down from the brow, and making a gingerly backward step with his flat hind foot. His hind quarters were toward Uglomi, and he clawed at the rocks and bushes so that he seemed flattened against the cliff. He looked none the nonetheless for that. From his shining snout to his stumpy tail, he was a lion and a half. The length of two tall men. He looked over his shoulder, and his huge mouth was open with the exertion of holding up his great carcass, and his tongue lay out. He got his footing and came slowly a yard nearer. Bear said Uglomi, looking round with his face white. But Eudena, with terror in her eyes, was pointing down the cliff. Uglomi's mouth fell open, for down below, with her big forefeet against the rock stood another big brown-gray bulk, the she-bear. She was not so big as Andu, but she was big enough for all that. Then suddenly, Uglomi gave a cry, and catching up a handful of the litter of ferns that lay scattered on the ledge, he thrust it into the pallid ash of the fire. Brother Fire, he cried. Brother Fire. And Eudena, starting into activity, did likewise. Brother Fire, help. Help, Brother Fire. Brother Fire was still red in his heart, but he turned to grey as they scattered him. Brother Fire, they screamed, but he whispered and passed, and there was nothing but ashes. Then Uglomi danced with anger and struck the ashes with his fist. But Eudena began to hammer the firestone against a flint, and the eyes of each were turning ever and again towards the gully by which Andu was climbing down. Brother Fire. Suddenly the huge, furry hindquarters of the bear came into view beneath the bulge of the chalk that had hidden him. He was still clambering gingerly down the nearly vertical surface. His head was yet out of sight, but they could hear him talking to himself. Pig and monkey, said the cave bear. It ought to be good. Eudena struck a spark and blew at it. It twinkled brighter and then went out. At that she cast down Flint and Firestone and stared blankly. Then she sprang to her feet and scrambled a yard or so up the cliff above the ledge. How she hung on, even for a moment, I do not know, for the chalk was vertical, and without grip for a monkey. In a couple of seconds, she had slid back to the ledge again, with bleeding hands. Uglomi was making frantic rushes about the ledge. Now he would go to the edge, now to the gully. He did not know what to do, he could not think. The she-bear looked smaller than her mate, much. If they rushed down on her together, one might live. Ugh," said the cave bear, and Uglomi turned again and saw his little eyes peering under the bulge of the chalk. Eudena, cowering at the edge of the ledge, began to scream like a gripped rabbit. At that, a sort of madness came upon Uglomi. With a mighty cry, he caught up his axe and ran towards Andu. The monster gave a grunt of surprise. In a moment, Uglomi was clinging to a bush right underneath the bear and in another he was hanging to its back, half-buried in fur, with one fish clutched in the hair under its jaw. The bear was too astonished at this fantastic attack to do more than cling passive, and then the axe, the first of all axes, rang on its skull. The bear's head twisted from side to side, and he began a petulant, scolding growl. The axe bit within an inch of the left eye, and the hot blood blinded that side, at that, the brute roared with surprise and anger, and his teeth gnashed six inches from Oglomi's face. Then the axe, clubbed close, came down heavily upon the corner of the jaw. The next blow blinded the right side and called forth a roar, this time of pain. Eudena saw the huge, flat feet slipping and sliding, and suddenly the bear gave a clumsy leap sideways, as if for the ledge. Then everything vanished, and the hazel smashed and a roar of pain and tumult of shouts and growls came up from far below. Eudena screamed and ran to the edge and peered over. For a moment, man and bears were a heap together, Uglomi uppermost. And then he had sprung clear and was scaling the gully again, with the bears rolling and striking at one another among the hazels. But he had left his axe below, and three knob-ended streaks of carmine were shooting down his thigh. Up! he cried. "'and in a moment, Eudena was leading the way to the top of the cliff. "'In half a minute, they were at the crest, "'their hearts pumping noisily, "'with Andu and his wife far and safe below them. "'Andu was sitting on his haunches, both paws at work, "'trying with quick, exasperated movements "'to wipe the blindness out of his eyes. "'And the she-bear stood on all fours a little way off, "'ruffled in appearance and growling angrily. "'Uglomi flung himself flat on the grass.' And lay panting and bleeding with his face on his arms. For a second, Eudena regarded the bears. Then she came and sat beside him, looking at him. Presently, she put forth her hand timidly and touched him, and made the guttural sound that was his name. He turned over and raised himself on his arm. His face was pale, like the face of one who is afraid. He looked at her steadfastly for a moment, and then suddenly he laughed, Wah! He said exultantly, Wah, said she, a simple but expressive conversation. Then Uglomi came and knelt beside her, and on hands and knees peered over the brow and examined the gorge. His breath was steady now, and the blood on his leg had ceased to flow, though the scratches the she-bear had made were open and wide. He squatted up and sat staring at the footmarks of the great bear as they came to the gully. They were as wide as his head, and twice as long. Then he jumped up and went along the cliff face until the ledge was visible. Here he sat down for some time thinking, while Eudena watched him. Presently, she saw the bears had gone. At last, Uglomi rose, as one whose mind is made up. He returned towards the gully, Eudena keeping close by him, and together they clambered to the ledge. They took the firestone and a flint, and then Uglomi went down to the foot of the cliff very cautiously and found his axe. They returned to the cliff as quietly as they could, and set off at a brisk walk. The ledge was home no longer, with such callers in the neighborhood. Uglomi carried the axe, and Eudena the firestone. So simple was a Paleolithic removal. They went upstream, although it might lead to the very lair of the cave bear, because there was no other way to go. Down the stream was the tribe, and had not Uglomi killed Uya and Weyu? By the stream they had to keep because of drinking. So they marched through the beech trees, with the gorge deepening until the river flowed, a frothing rapid, five hundred feet below them. Of all the changeful things in this world of change, the courses of rivers and deep valleys change least. It was the River Way, the river we know today, and they marched over the very spots where nowadays stand little Guilford and Goldalming, the first human beings to come into the land. Once a gray ape chattered and vanished and all along the cliff edge, vast and even, ran the spore of the great cave bear. And then the spore of the bear fell away from the cliff, showing, Ooglomi thought, that he came from some place to the left, and keeping to the cliff's edge, they presently came to an end. They found themselves looking down on a great semicircular space caused by the collapse of the cliff. It had smashed right across the gorge, banking the upstream water back in a pool which overflowed in a rapid. The slip had happened long ago. It was grassed over, but the face of the cliffs that stood about the semicircle was still almost fresh looking and white as on the day when the rock must have broken and slid down. Starkly exposed, and black under the foot of these cliffs, were the mouths of several caves. And as they stood there, looking at the space and disinclined to skirt it, because they thought the bear's lair lay somewhere on the left in the direction that they must needs take, they saw suddenly first one bear, and then two coming up the grass slope to the right, and going across the amphitheater towards the caves. Andu was first. He dropped a little on his forefoot, and his mien was despondent. And the she-bear came shuffling behind. Eudina and Uglomi stepped back from the cliff until they could just see the bears over the verge. Then Uglomi stopped. Eudina pulled his arm, but he turned with a forbidding gesture, and her hand dropped. Uglomi stood watching the bears, with his axe in his hand, until they had vanished into the cave. He growled softly, and shook the axe at the she-bears' receding quarters. Then, to Eudena's terror, instead of creeping off with her, he lay flat down and crawled forward into such a position that he could just see the cave. It was bears, and he did it as calmly as if it had been rabbits he was watching. He lay still, like a barked log, sun dappled in the shadow of the trees. He was thinking, and Eudena had learnt, even when a little girl, that when Uglomi became still like that, jawbone on fist, novel things presently began to happen. It was an hour before the thinking was over. It was noon when the two little savages had found their way to the cliff-brow that overhung the bear's cave, and all the long afternoon they fought desperately with a great boulder of chalk, trundling it, with nothing but their unaided sturdy muscles, from the gully where it had hung like a loose tooth, towards the clifftop. It was a full two yards about. It stood as high as Eudena's waist. It was obtuse-angled, and toothed with flints. And when the sun set, it was poised, three inches from the edge, above the cave of the great cave-bear. In the cave, conversation languished during that afternoon. The she-bear snoozed sulkily in her corner, for she was fond of pig and monkey and Andu was busy licking the side of his paw and smearing his face to cool the smart and inflammation of his wounds. Afterwards he went and sat just within the mouth of the cave, blinking out at the afternoon sun with his uninjured eye and thinking. I was never so startled in my life, he said at last. They are the most extraordinary beast, attacking me. I don't like them, said the she-bear, out of the darkness behind. A feebler sort of beast I never saw, I can't think what the world is coming to. Scraggly, weedy legs. Wonder how they keep warm in winter. Very likely they don't, said the she-bear. I suppose it's a sort of monkey gone wrong. It's a change, said the she-bear. A pause. The advantage he had was merely accidental, said Andu. These things will happen at times. I can't understand why you let go, said the she-bear. That matter had been discussed before and settled. So Andu, being a bear of experience, remained silent for a space. Then he resumed upon a different aspect of the matter. He has a sort of claw, a long claw that he seemed to have first on one paw and then on the other. Just one claw. They're very odd things. The bright thing, too, they seem to have, like that glare that comes in the sky in daytime, only it jumps about. It's really worth seeing. It's a thing with a root, too, like grass when it's windy. Does it bite? asked the she-bear. If it bites, it can't be a plant. No, I don't know, said Andu, but it's curious anyhow. I wonder if they are good eating, said the she-bear. They look it, said Andu, with appetite, for the cave-bear, like the polar bear, was an incurable carnivore, no roots or honey for him. The two bears fell into a meditation for a space. Then Andrew resumed his simple attentions to his eye. The sunlight up in the green slope before the cave mouth grew warmer in tone and warmer, until it was a ruddy amber. "'Curious sort of thing, Day,' said the cave bear. lot too much of it, I think. Quite unsuitable for hunting. Dazzles me always. I can't smell nearly so well by day.' The she-bear did not answer. But there came a measured crunching sound out of the darkness. She had turned up a bone. Andu yawned. Well, he said. He strolled to the cave mouth and stood with his head projecting, surveying the amphitheater. He found he had to turn his head completely around to see objects on his right-hand side. No doubt that I would be all right tomorrow. He yawned again. There was a tap overhead, and a big mass of chalk flew out from the cliff face, dropped a yard in front of his nose, and starred into a dozen unequal fragments. It startled him extremely. When he had recovered a little from his shock, he went and sniffed curiously at the representative pieces of the fallen projectile. They had a distinctive flavor, oddly reminiscent of the two drab animals of the ledge. He sat up and pawed the larger lump, and walked round it several times, trying to find a man about it somewhere. When night had come, he went off down the river gorge to see if he could cut off either of the ledge's occupants. The ledge was empty, there were no signs of the red thing, but as he was rather hungry, he did not loiter long that night, but pushed on to pick up a red deer fawn. He forgot about the drab animals. He found a fawn, but the doe was close by, and made an ugly fight for her young. Andu had to leave the fawn, but as her blood was up, she stuck to the attack, and at last he got a blow of his paw on her nose and so got hold of her. More meat, but less delicacy, and the she-bear following had her share. The next afternoon, curiously enough, the very fellow of the first white rock fell, and smashed precisely according to precedent. The aim of the third, that fell the night after, however, was better. It hit Andu's unspeculative skull with a crack that echoed up the cliff, and the white fragments went dancing to all the points of the compass. The she-bear coming after him and sniffing curiously at him found him lying in an odd sort of attitude, with his head wet and all out of shape. She was a young she-bear and inexperienced, and having sniffed about him for some time and licked him a little and so forth, she decided to leave him until the odd mood had passed, and went on with her hunting alone. She looked up the fawn of the red doe they had killed two nights ago, and found it. But it was lonely hunting without Andu and she returned caveward before dawn. The sky was gray and overcast. The trees up the gorge were black and unfamiliar, and into her ursine mind came a dim sense of strange and dreary happenings. She lifted up her voice and called Andu by name. The sides of the gorge re-echoed her. As she approached the caves, she saw in the half-light and heard a couple of jackals scuttle off. And immediately after, a hyena howled and a dozen clumsy bulks went lumbering up the slope and stopped and yelled derision. Lord of the rocks and caves, yaha! came down the wind. The dismal feeling in the she-bear's mind became suddenly acute. She shuffled across the amphitheater. Yaha! said the hyenas retreating. Yaha! The cave bear was not lying quite in the same attitude because the hyenas had been busy, and in one place his ribs showed white. Dotted over the turf about him lay the smashed fragments of the three great lumps of chalk, and the air was full of the scent of death. The she-bear stopped dead, even now that the great and wonderful Andu was killed was beyond her believing. Then she heard far overhead a sound, a queer sound, a little like the shout of a hyena, but fuller and lower in pitch. She looked up, her little dawn-blinded eyes seeing little, her nostrils quivering. And there, on the cliff edge, far above her against the bright pink of dawn, were two little shaggy round dark things, the heads of Eudena and Inglomi, as they shouted derision at her. But though she could not see them very distinctly, she could hear, and dimly she began to apprehend. A novel feeling, as of imminent strange evils, came into her heart. She began to examine the smashed fragments of chalk that lay about Andu. For a space she stood still, looking about her and making a low, continuous sound that was almost a moan. Then she went back incredulously to Andu, to make one last effort to rouse him. End of Section 2